You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. What's going on, podcast listeners? This is the Captain's Coach Podcast. Welcome back to our fourth episode of the Sports Philosophy Series. I'm bringing you my conversation with Pamela Sailors today. Pam is a philosophy professor at Missouri State, where she teaches mostly philosophy of sport courses, which I've become increasingly intrigued by through these conversations. Pam originally started in the bioethics world and moved into sport ethics and philosophy of sport via the performance-enhancing drug conversation. She is extremely passionate about sports, and it's something she has always loved, as you'll hear throughout our conversation. Today, we'll cover the three main purposes of sport as Pam sees it and why some other traditional answers may not exactly fit the bill. We also discuss some of Pam's biggest pet peeves and what she sees wrong in the sports world today, namely sports as a business, and the increasing reliance on technology. Pam also points out some things coaches and administrators may take for granted or may not even think about when developing their own philosophy on sports and what success looks like for them. She brought up a handful of ideas today that are going to keep me occupied and wrestling with for the near future. It was an absolute blast having her on the show, so please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Pam Sailors on another episode of the Captain's Coach Podcast. Hey, Pam. Thanks for coming on the Captain's Coach Podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Luke. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is now episode four in our sports philosophy series. So I guess we could just start, just give a little bit of a a background to our listeners, kind of where you're at now and kind of how you got into the sport philosophy realm. Uh, I'm, I am at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri now. I've been here for a very long time. Uh, I went to school at the University of Georgia and did my dissertation there on in vitro fertilization. And so I was kind of in the bioethics part of philosophy. And a few years down the road, uh, got into uh, issues of performance enhancing drugs and genetic enhancements and things like that and realized that there was this whole area of philosophy that dealt with sport and because I've always been a huge sport fan and uh, a, you know f- fanatic maybe even uh, it was beautiful for me because it was like the moment when I realized I could do something that I loved and get paid for it uh, and so that's, that's what I do. I've been pretty much doing this for the last 12 or 15 years, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. It's cool to hear everyone's stories of how they get into this whole sports philosophy. Cause it's not, it's not a, a field or kind of an area of sport that we usually think about or, or have conversations about, you know, it's more the, the leadership, the coaching, the skill, 
and specific to certain sports, but rarely do we have the opportunity to talk about kind of sport in general. What is sport? What is the purpose of sport? So I'd love to get your, your perspective and your opinion on what you think when it comes down to it, what is the purpose of sport? Uh, well, I think the beauty of sport is that it is to some degree purposeless. Uh, I mean, the, the word comes from a Latin word, desporto, and it literally means to carry away. So it's a diversion from the necessities of everyday life. Um, it's something that you don't have to do. You get to choose to do it. And so it makes it very uh, special in that way. It's, a, it's more of a luxury than a necessity. Um, now, of course, uh, and others will give you this this line it can teach character and teamwork and discipline and loyalty and determination but so can a lot of other institutions mm -hmm. uh, like the military for example it can teach all those same things so it can't be that that's exactly what sports is is all about um it it can be beautiful uh like art i mean i don't know exactly how i would answer the question what's the purpose of art but it, it can be beautiful. Uh, sport performances can be, can be beautiful. Um, I still remember a pass that John Elway threw a million years ago, coming back from way behind to win a ball game. And I hated Denver, but I could appreciate the beauty of uh, what he had done. Um, and I think finally it, it, it allows us to uh, have an opportunity to exercise both our minds and our bodies at the same time to seek the limits of, of both of them to find out what our limits really are. No, I love all three of those answers, Pam. You know, the first one, letting go, and it's more of a luxury or recreation. You know, it, the best way I can think about that is just, you know, as an adult, why do we play recreational sports? You know, obviously it's the competition piece. Maybe we don't have competition in our lives anymore. And we used to be college athletes or high school athletes. So we're looking for that. But I think above anything else, it's, it's an opportunity to let go, to forget about the work week, to be with your friends and other athletes. And obviously the competition is, is part of that. Um, and then obviously we have the, the, um, the appreciation of, just beauty or art, however you want to characterize it. David Papineau, um, you know, we discussed, I had him on the show earlier. He was our, my second guest in this series. He was kind of talking about it and he, he's kind of was more classical philosophy and then moved into the sports philosophy. And he, he was trying to figure out, you know, what is the purpose of sport? Is it, um, you know, is it great because it's, it's some physical feat inside of these parameters with rules and, blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of like, well, you know, if it, it, you know, just inherently, I think we just appreciate it because it's a physical feat um, that's being accomplished. So there's definitely that aspect. And then obviously the, the physical and mental exercise for sure. So I think all three of those kind of wrapped up are a great way to kind of ball that all into one and what, what sport really is and what the real purpose of it is. Um, it, what do you see in sports today that may not fit into that kind of definition or purpose of sport for you? Or, or are there things that you see wrong 
with sports today? Uh, well, of course. Uh, I, I'm a pessimist by nature, so I can see things wrong with just about anything. Um, but I think, you know, in general, there's an overemphasis on sport as a business uh, that that bothers me. Uh, instead of seeing it as a diversion, uh, it becomes work. Um, right. And, you know, I, I think especially the media's influence on sport and examples, maybe um, scheduling of games, mm. you know, uh, instead of scheduling it when it's best for the athletes, it's scheduled when it's best for the television audience on the West Coast. Right. Um, right. And uh, the, even the rules. Uh, you know, changing the rules of a sport to, to make it more uh, conducive to commercial breaks. Um, I mean, that's one reason why soccer is not very popular uh, on television, to, to, on television audiences over here is because there's no good place for a commercial break. Right. It doesn't have the constant timeouts that, that American football does. Right. So... I mean, the business part bothers me some. I, I think there's a, a problem for some people anyway with valuing winning over all else. Um, you know, the saying second place is first loser. Um, and, and I, I get that. I, I personally am super competitive, but I also think that that can suck the joy right out of participation. If right. The only thing that matters is winning. Um, I think technological innovation is uh, reaching the point where it decreases what you might call athletic autonomy. Um, I mean, at some point, it doesn't even really make sense to say that the athlete is responsible for the outcome. Uh, it, it, instead, it's the bike or the swimsuit or the shoes or, you know, the, the, the nutritional science or something like that. And, and so we're not evaluating uh, the, the abilities of the athlete. We're evaluating the abilities of their scientific and technological team. Um, and then, of course, there are, are specific issues like the CTE problem in, in football and questions around inclusion and fairness uh, of in, with intersex and trans athletes. Um, there's pay disparity between women's sports teams and men's sports teams. Um, I mean, there, there are some very specific issues as well, but I think in general, uh, overemphasis on business and, and winning uh, and, and using technology to do it would be the, the big things. Yeah, I like I like that framework as well, Pam. You're you're really putting these in, in groups of threes. It's easy for me to for me to keep track of. And I don't think I've ever personally thought about the how sports have developed around the business of sport. And it's really interesting. You know, it's so easy to to conceptualize it once you think about oh yeah, football, TV schedule, basketball on the West Coast, uh, TV timeouts. Um, things like that. It's just very easy to see kind of how it's not benefiting the athletes and it's strictly benefit for the business or the TV ads and the, and the deals for the, the ownership and the collective bargaining agreements and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, the, the conversation about an emphasis on winning was something I had with my last guest 
Matt Dixon about how when that is the center of your coaching philosophy or just your sports philosophy, it can lead you down a shadowy road where you start getting into the weeds of some of those things you said, the, the, the technology, you know, rewriting rules and performance enhancing drugs. You know, that was something that, you know, reason why you got into the sports philosophy with the, and you get into that technology focus. Um, winning and, and being victorious, you know, we're all, we're all competitive. It's, it's a big reason why we play sports is to win. And there's valuable lessons in winning, but there's also, you know, arguably even more valuable lessons in losing. And if we rob, especially youth of making sure it's okay to lose. And that as long as you have put in all the effort and your attitude is that is directed the right way. If you lose, there's a lesson to be learned and your goal is always to win, but to win within the ethics and the, the nature of the sport and, and making sure that's all in line and, and winning should almost be a natural byproduct of your work and your attitude and effort. That's how, that's how Matt had, had put it a lot more articulately than I had. Um, winning should be a natural byproduct of all of those things that you're putting into sport in order to compete. Um, and yeah, like you said, there, there are some of those specific issues. What, what kind of things do you focus on in some of your classes? Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily some of those issues you talked about, but I'm just interested what a, what a curriculum in, sports philosophy looks like i never took a class like that i wish i had you know looking back if they had offered it at school um so what does that kind of look like maybe just one sample um you know maybe something that a coach could take back and kind of work on developing their own coaching philosophy uh well i was gonna say if i was teaching a class in the philosophy of sport the first thing we do is to is figure out how to define sport because that seems like a really easy thing to do until you start thinking about how you do it in such a way that you would include all the things that you want to include and not include right. some of the things that you don't want to include. And I'm sure if you asked that on the first day of class, you would get about a thousand different answers. Yeah. Well, I didn't have quite that many students in my class last uh, <laughs> on Tuesday, but I got as many answers as, as there were them. I mean, we right. went through some, some examples of, and what about cheerleading? Uh, and and a very bright student said, well, yes and no. So <laughs> I thought, you got the philosopher gene right there. Yeah, exactly. But I don't, uh, I, I'm, in, in terms of coaches, uh, I, I think maybe, you know, if we go back to your first question, what is the purpose of sport? I think that's something that we don't think about either. And without thinking about why we're doing what we're doing, uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep doing it. Um, so, you know, questions about what is the nature of sport and, and what, what is the value of it? Um, and what are the bad things that come with it and how do we negotiate our way through so that we avoid those things? Um, I mean, I think those are things to, to, to talk about uh, in a class and, um, you know, we talk about business, we talk about media, we talk about race, class, and gender, and how all of those things play into sport, and how we might not think about that always. Um, I mean, if if you're if you are a coach uh, of a of a team, look at your team. 
Is it reflective of your community? Uh, are there barriers to participation that you haven't thought about because um, a kid, for example, can't afford the equipment? Right. Uh, I mean, those are the sorts of things I think uh, maybe maybe answer your question, I hope. Yeah, no, for sure. And that kind of goes into what I was going to follow it up with or, you know, what are some things that go unchallenged in the sports world or, or assumptions that coaches have. But I think that's a good one you know, the, the representative of community. And I, I know for me, you know, I grew up playing lacrosse, historically a, you know, quote unquote affluent sport uh, on the Atlantic coast, on the East coast, Northeast. Um, you see the colleges that are, are successful or the, the Ivy league schools and in the Northeast and, you know, growing up, you never think about it. And I, I don't know how much the coaches did as adults, but, Looking back, yeah, obviously it's a huge barrier to entry for less privileged youth and coming from lower income areas because there isn't the equipment. One, it's not a sport that's played there, but two, the equipment is expensive and there's not, like football, for example, youth leagues usually have equipment that gets passed down and issued out to athletes. So the kids aren't necessarily paying for the helmets and the pads because they get turned in at the end of the year lacrosse at least where i grew up was you know the parents foot the bill for arm pads shoulder pads a full stick a helmet gloves and that's a it's a pretty steep price tag and you know you're outgrowing that you know every you probably go through three sets of all that during your during your youth time if not more depending on when you start playing so that's definitely one that i think coaches should be should be thinking about and even administrators and community organizers who are putting together sports leagues, definitely something to keep in mind for sure. Cause at the end of the day, what you're missing out on, you know, you're robbing kids and, and, and athletes of an opportunity to excel, to exercise, to socialize, to learn those valuable lessons, you know, the hard work, the determination, the effort, but you're also, you know, robbing the kids that are currently playing from the exposure of, additional athletes that may be, you know, more talented, have a different perspective and the socialization with them that they wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that is kind of like a, a pet peeve maybe for you in the, in specifically for the sports philosophy world, maybe like a, um, a belief that's out there or, or a train of thought or arguments that are out there that, that really, you know, you, you don't necessarily agree with and you, you seem to be coming across more and more of in the philosophy world? Um, well, I, I think more in the world in general. Um, I mean, currently my, my pet peeve is uh, ignoring the history of, of sport. And so, for example, criticizing athletes for making political statements hmm. uh, when, you know, as if sport hadn't always been political right um and people just seem to forget that you know i i mean muhammad ali refused to fight in the vietnam war and uh went to prison and had his boxing license taken away and lost three years of his his career and his prime and uh John Carlos and, and Tommy Smith are the, you know, the famous athletes uh, at the Mexico City Olympics in 68 who, who raised the, the gloved fist on the, 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 the podium. Yeah, the podium. Uh, 
And then, you know, it's like Colin Kaepernick came along and, and the, the United States acted like nobody, no athlete had ever made a political statement before. Um, and so it just, I mean, it, it's always been that way. And I, I think what tends to happen is that people notice it when the politics of the athlete don't match their own. Yeah, I was going to say, when it, when it becomes inconvenient to you personally, um, it then becomes convenient for you to dismiss it as something that shouldn't be going on. Yeah, I, it's really interesting. Right before uh, you and I started talking, I uh, saw a news story that the Milwaukee Bucks uh, boycotted their NBA playoff game today. Uh, as as a protest uh, of the shooting of, of Jacob Blake. And so they just didn't come out on the floor. And so the NBA postponed all three of the playoff games that were scheduled for today. And uh, the other teams are, are considering not playing tomorrow. Uh, the, the, um, the organizations seem to be supporting the, the players, but I'm sure the response to this from the public is not going to be uh, oh, no. uniformly positive. No, there is a hundred percent chance it is not going to be. Yeah, that's um, no, I can see how frustrating that is, and it, it's something frustrating for me too. But it, how quickly we do forget the past of sport and the and the purpose of sport. And again, going back to my my conversation with Matt Dixon. You know, he, he comes from a very strong Christian background and, you know, he sees the purpose of sport long term, you know, as he sees everything in life to glorify God and, and his Christian faith. And, you know, as, as a professional athlete, you know, that look at Tim Tebow. That's what that's what he did. He was making political statements um, or religious statements or, you know, based on his beliefs. And I think that's a, a big a big part of sport, you know, it has national attention and you hear that argument as well. You know, if you're, if you're not using your platform wisely, if you have this platform and you're not, and you have strong beliefs about different aspects of society or different aspects of sport and you're not speaking out, you know, people could say that you're, you're wasting it or you're not using it to its full potential or you're not using the full purpose or or potential of the sport you're in and the, and the opportunity you have. Um, and it's, it's just funny how we, we can flip that so easily once it, like we said, is, is inconvenient to us personally or to the, the public in general can, can quickly turn that the other way around. Yeah. There's a, a great example of turning it the other way around. Um, the South African athlete Zola Bud who most people remember for running barefoot and getting tangled up with Mary Decker uh, in the Olympics and, and Decker went down. Um, I, she, because she was from South Africa, she was not allowed to participate in the Olympics, but she had a grandfather who was English. And so she uh, ran for Great Britain. And uh, when she got to England, she was uh, harassed by people wanting her to make a political statement against apartheid. And she didn't, she said, I just want to run. All yeah. I want to do, I just want you to leave me alone and let me run. And so it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, at that moment, because we were against this, we were very adamant that she needed to speak out and use her platform. 
but now if we disagree with what the athlete's political position is, we think they just need to shut up and dribble the ball. <laughs> right. Right. Which is completely, it's, it's a, it's a lose lose situation. Um, and we should be completely okay with athletes who don't want to speak out and want to just play the sport. You know, that's what their, that's what their goal is, is to go out there and, and compete and have fun and let loose and, you know, exercise their ability and, you know, bring to fruition all the hard work and effort that they've put in their entire life to get to the highest level. Um, and it's the same thing at, 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 at the college level as well. And, and again, it just comes back to, you know, the whole, the whole conversation here, you know, what is the purpose of sport and are there tangential purposes that go along with it? Um, you know, I first asked you the question, it's even hard to narrow it down to one purpose. You know, we, we came up with three that I think everyone would agree are all pretty fundamental to why we play sports as a society and why you play sports as an individual. Um, and being able to kind of think about that as a, as a coach and an athlete, why are my athletes playing? Why are they playing for me? Why are they playing for each other? Why are they playing to begin with? And being able to understand that and maybe have those conversations, um, you're going to have a better culture on your team if everyone kind of understands. And that's a big piece of leadership, obviously on the captain's coach. That's what our conversations usually center around, but that's a big piece of leadership is having a culture and being able to influence people and understanding what makes them tick. So if you can kind of have those conversations and just see where everyone's coming from and what they think the purpose of sport and why they're playing is, it's only going to increase your, your potential as a team in the long run. I think that's right. And I think, you know, I, I very neatly laid out those purposes at the beginning, but the truth is those purposes can work against one another. So, you know, a coach may have an athlete who says, Hey coach, this is a diversion for me. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to, this is my sanctuary. This is my, my, my sacred space. And I, this is how I get away from those sorts of things. And you may have another athlete who says, Hey coach, I feel like my integrity is, is not intact if I don't make a stand. And so I, this, this is a moment when I personally am glad I'm not a coach because I don't know how I would deal with uh, that sort of situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not an envy, enviable situation to make those kind of decisions or if you're an administrator at, at a, at a, at a college or, or a high school as an athletic director, you know, where do you draw the line? If you draw one at all, you know, what is your responsibility? What is the athlete's responsibilities? What kind of guidelines do you, do you put out? If you were, if you were to, you know, I'm going to, you know, you just said you're glad you're not in that cause you wouldn't know what to do. But um, if you were in that position and you had coaches coming to you asking you know, how do we handle the political statement or the, or, you know, just any kind of ethics or philosophy question and the purpose of sport and kind of where everything gets into the gray area, what kind of guidelines would you give them or, or kind of thought process maybe to, to work through in order to help them come to a, come to a decision? Uh, I think the thought process would have to start with, you know, what are your goals for your, for your team? And 
um, for most coaches, I'm going to guess, one of the goals is to uh, have a united team, you know, a team that where, where everybody is, is together and it's all harmonious and, um, you know, there, there could be an education component as well. But I mean, I think first you, you think about, okay, what are my goals for, for this, for this team? What do I want to, to instill in them? What do I want to bring out of them? And then you figure out, okay, how do we take these concerns that the athletes have and kind of push them towards uh, a resolution that's not going to get in the way of the, the overall goal for the team. Now that's thought process and thought process is always really easy to, you know, sit in your office and talk about It's much harder to stand on a field and figure out when you've got two athletes who are diametrically opposed on something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, I, I tend to be a, a pretty utilitarian in my thinking. And so in a lot of cases, it's what are the consequences of this? If I do this, if I do this, what are the consequences? If I do this other thing, what are the consequences? And what gets me the best consequences for the, the goal that I want for my team? Right, right. And it kind of starts with, like you said, what does success look like for my team? And then back backwards tracking that to okay what decision and outcome based on that decision is going to put us the closest towards that success without sacrificing you know while while mitigating sacrificing other areas yeah so it's definitely a a a, you know it's it's, sometimes you're definitely going to be in kind of a a catch-22 situation but that's why it's important to have those conversations with your teammates and other coaches and your administrators and, and the, the program managers that help you develop what you define as success. What is success? Uh, what do you want for your team at the end of the season or at the end of your, your coaching tenure? Um, what do your players want for themselves individually and for themselves as a team? Because um, if you don't have that, then it, it's pretty hard to, to come up with the right answer. Um, you know, the only thing worse than a bad plan is no plan. And it's pretty hard to go in any direction, um, and come out on top if you don't even know where you're going. Yeah. There's a famous philosopher guy named Aristotle. Uh, you may have heard of him. Uh, he, he said, um, when he wrote about ethics, he said, it's like the archer who, uh, is, is, you know, going to release the arrow, you've got to be able to know what the, where the goal is. You've got to be able to see the, the target or you don't have any chance at all of hitting it. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty good, yeah, a, a pretty wise guy with some wise words there. So not going <laughs> to. Yeah, some old guy. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's great, Pam. Uh, God, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, is there anything else you would um, – you know, different ideas for coaches or athletes to look at when it comes to philosophy of sport, um, different areas that, that you see kind of emerging um, that really interest you that, you, that you think you'll be getting into more in the, in the near future, anything like that kind of on your radar that we haven't discussed that you would, you would put out to the listeners? 
Um, I, you know, I don't know that this is, this is just something that I've been thinking about today and I don't even know how it, how it fits in with, with, uh, the philosophy conversation so much, maybe more with the, the coaching conversation, but, um, there's something about, there's something really important about recognizing that, um, superior performance is not always the most important uh, or, or the most valuable thing about sport. And I'm thinking about it in this way. Um, the naturally talented athlete can slack off and still outperform somebody who's having the very best day of their life. Right. Athletically. And um, I, I think there's, you know, as a coach, sometimes it may be, and I say that this as a professor as well, sometimes it's, it's easy to overlook the athlete or the student who has overperformed. Right. Uh, it, it, because their very, very best is not nearly as good as somebody who just at, at least partially comes by it naturally. Right. Um, and so there is a value. I'm, I mean, I tell my students, there's a great value in, in hard work. Uh, it may not get you what you want uh, in terms of, an, of a result, but it can make you a better person. Uh, and I think that's true in sport as well. Um, so, you know, for, for coaches to, to recognize that the athlete who's sitting on the bench or uh, who only gets to to participate as the bullpen catcher uh, may be uh, for themselves um, reaching an achievement that's, that's greater than somebody who's had lots of advantages and uh, just seems to, to get through this without even having to try as hard as they, they can. No, I love that, Pam. And that's such a good, it's such a good thing to think about. Um, and yeah, we see it all the time. You know, you, you just have some very naturally gifted athletes that on their worst day are going to outperform anybody else around them, no matter how much effort and work the other person's put in. And that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a hard truth about life and society at large is you don't always get what you want. You don't always get what you deserve. Um, the world is an unfair place. And sometimes that's, that's the outcome. So I think that's a great way to put it that an overemphasis on the physical outcome and the, the match or the game result isn't always indicative of who was more successful or who, right. who had more growth or who is coming out of this better than before. Um, you know, a great quote that I love is, is if you're not growing, you're dying. And yeah. You, know, you could be the best, best athlete in the world, best um, at your position on your team. But if you're not getting better, um, not only are you, are you hurting yourself, but you're also hurting everyone else around you who is, you know, growing with you, depending on you to also grow, who could be, you could be developing them in other ways. Um, so yeah, not, and you know, that's all why we always say live up to your potential um, and you know, a million other cliches with, with great ability comes great responsibility. Um, so it's along all those lines. So that's a great thing to think about. It's a great thing to leave, leave, leave us here thinking about. It's going to, 
it's definitely going to be something on my mind for the rest of the night and probably into tomorrow is, you know, toying around with that idea and how you can kind of put that into action as a coach or a leader, not only in sports, but in the business world or, or in the military or in your family. Um, yeah. How can you, how can you turn that concept into actionable and directioned thought and action on a, on a daily basis? So I appreciate right. that. Right. Right. Because a good leader brings out the best in, in the, their, the people that they are leading, right? Whether the, the best, but the, the best for everybody is not going to be the same. Exactly. Exactly. No, I love that. Um, do you have any uh, book recommendations, books that you find yourself, you know, recommending to your students or, or maybe friends in the sports philosophy world? Um, any, any good, any good recs from you? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I, I think if somebody wants to find out about philosophy of sport, uh, you know, you don't really know what it's all about. Uh, there's a nice little book by Emily Ryle uh, called Philosophy of Sport, Key Questions. Uh, that's nice. Um, honestly, I, I love to read sport books, but not necessarily. I, I like to find the philosophy in them rather than, right. and, and, you know, recommend ones that were written with philosophy in mind. I, one of the best books I've read recently is um, Alex Hutchinson's, in, the, the title is Endure. Um, sorry, what was the title? Uh, sorry? What's the title of that one? It's Endure, oh, uh, like endurance, in, Endure. Uh, and it's got a, a, a neat little subtitle, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Performance. Wow, okay. Definitely. And and it, it's really good because it talks about how to um, it, it it's got it, there's good science in it but it's also how do we get uh, beyond where we think we can be. Um, I I maybe two more. Um, I really like uh, mountaineering books. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with, I, I mean, I'm from the deep South. The idea of being in the snow and the cold <laughs> is, is, is terrifying to me, but uh, I went through a period where I read a lot of mountaineering stuff. And I think um, Into Thin Air by John right. Power yeah. and um, also Touching the Void by Joe Simpson uh, are both just first rate because they've got some really significant ethical issues buried in in the the, the, the books and just the stories are are immensely gripping. Uh, so it's it's like you get ethics, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it doesn't put your brain in a pretzel. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no I like that. Yeah, it's like all books. You know, we like we like the stories that can teach us valuable lessons rather than just having the lessons laid out to us. No, so that's a great way. Um, not surprising at all. Um, I'll love those. Uh, and then for the listeners, I'll, I'll, um, I'll put the titles and the, and the authors in the, in the show notes as well. Um, in case you missed any of those or, or didn't get a chance to write them down. But uh, Pam, uh, I, I think I've taken up uh, enough of your evening. I have enjoyed this immensely. Um, really just, you know, I, I, I think I said this at the beginning of my last podcast um, with Matt, but, is really just validates um, conversations like these really just validate why I 
you know, agreed to be the host for, for Ben and and this podcast. And so glad Ben came up with the idea to do this sports philosophy series because it's just been super enjoyable, a change of pace from our, from our normal uh, scheduled broadcasting, if you will. Um, it's just been a lot of fun and having great conversations with, with people like you make it that much better. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it very much. Also, it made me stretch a little. <laughs> That's good. It's good to hear. Uh, I'm sure I think you, I think you probably did a little bit more to that, uh, more of that to me than I did to you. But I, uh, uh, but again, thank you so much, Pam. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Luke Bullock. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.